Well, good morning. My name is Greg. I'm the Youth and Children's Director here at Sunrise, and I'm just so grateful to get this opportunity to share God's Word with you. Pastor Russ is taking a very needed and very deserved uh, vacation, and so we're just so looking forward to him taking a break and enjoying some time with his family, and I get the opportunity to kind of wrap up. Here comes the judges. It's funny, actually, uh, when Russ was talking to me and kind of saying, hey, would you mind filling in for me? He had mentioned that I'd be wrapping up the series and then also kind of offhandedly mentioned the fact that, you know, it might be a little bit more difficult chapters, a little bit more difficult thing to kind of to do. And I all of a sudden started to recall the end of Judges and I quickly was like, hey, wait, are you giving me that one story? And uh, yeah, it's one of the stories that we'll be covering and he kind of nonchalantly was just like, ah, I don't know, you'll have to look at what I have written down in the preaching calendar. And then, uh, lo and behold, he's not just giving me that story, he's giving me <laughs> all the, the crazy stories at the end of Judges. And so I'm pretty sure this is like the, the pastoral version of hazing the seminary guy. Uh, and, and so this is uh, like his way of just, you know, uh, testing out if I really want the job or not kind of thing of being a head pastor one day. Um, I don't know, but... Either way, uh, we have some really random uh, texts that we're going to be going through. And, uh, the, you know, the end of Judges is just weird in so many ways. Uh, first of all, it, because there's uh, no judges, uh, which is really awkward when the title of the series is Here Come the Judges, and the last whole thing is, like, just kidding, there's no judges. Um, and then the second part is that each of these stories that we're going to be talking about today um, really just seem random and almost like, how does that affect our life, our culture here in 2020? In fact, I was reading it and it seems almost like uh, the Bible's version of this year, 2020, because it's just a bunch of random things that have happened and it's kind of like the author was sitting there writing them down saying, well, that happened, you know? <laughs> and so uh, that, at least that's how I feel this year has been uh, for uh, me at least. But um, what's f interesting is I think actually that's the exact way that we need to look at these stories is with the author in mind. Like why would someone spend the time to actually write these things down unless the Holy Spirit was inspiring them to do so? And I think it's the best way for us to truly understand uh, these these chapters that we're going to be looking into is to really pull back for a moment and remember that the whole reason that we have any of these stories is someone, like I said, was inspired by God to write these stories down. And the reason they were inspired was because that uh, they realized that these stories could communicate something about who God was. I mean, that's the whole reason we have any of the books of the Bible, is because someone was inspired about uh, a characteristic, a trait, a, a, a certain kind of understanding of who God was, and then they, they wrote it down. And uh, the, the, the way that we can start to look at this is that uh, the author wanted us to be asking a certain question. And we're going to see this common thread kind of weave through each of the chapters that we're going to be going through is this question that he wants us to start to ask ourselves and ask of Israel as well. And so uh, I'm kind of going to just do the cliff note version of uh, the last couple chapters, and we're really going to settle our text in, in uh, chapter 20. Uh, so if you want to turn your Bibles to chapter 20, but I'm going to start in chapter uh, 17. And like I said, I'm just going to breeze through, give you a quick little, uh, you know, 
uh, summary update of what's going on in the, the chapters as, as the, the book concludes. So chapter 17 jumps in with this guy named Micah. Uh, he uh, randomly uh, creates this idol and uh, places it in his home. He then uh, calls his son in and, and dubs him the priest of this idol. And then later on, Micah meets this Levite, who, of course, we know is supposed to be a priest uh, tribe. And he says, oh, you're, you're a Levite. I'm actually going to bring you in, and you're going to be my priest uh, for my idol. And so the Levite comes and lives with him, and I guess the son wasn't doing it for him, so he replaces him. Um, and then uh, there in uh, chapter 18, um, it starts off uh, again with this idea um, that uh, in those days— uh, that Israel had no king. It's the first thing the author writes in, in chapter 18, and I, I forgot to mention in chapter 17, he, he says that as well as he's kind of explaining the story. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Um, so in chapter 18, uh, they tell this weird story about the, tri- the tribe of uh, Danites that comes and he steals Micah's idol and he, he, uh, <laughs> he takes the priest and they take the priest and then they go conquer this land and Micah's mad. And it's this weird altercation that they have with one another where uh, Micah comes out and he's like wanting to fight the, the people who stole all this stuff from him. And they just kind of stare at him and they're like, what are you going to do? And he's like, well, yeah, you guys are a lot more than us. And so he just heads home. Uh, and so uh, there's that story. And then we get to chapter 19. And uh, again, the author uh, reminds us, he, he really emphasizes, he says, in those days, Israel had no king. And he tells this really crazy story, uh, and this is the one I actually asked if Russ I was going to have to preach on, was uh, this story of the, the tribe of Benjamin, uh, or Benjamin and, and the, a Levite and his concubine. And uh, again, I said we're going to focus our text on verses 4 through 9. And so uh, this is going to kind of give us a summary of what happened in chapter 19 and lead us into what's going to happen in chapter 20. Um, So I'm just going to read that for you. Uh, This is Judges 20, uh, verse 4 through 9. It says, "So So the Levite, the husband of the murdered woman, said, I and my concubine came to uh, Gibeah and Benjamin to spend the night. During the night, the men of Gibeah came after me and surrounded the house, intending to kill me. They raped uh, raped my concubine, and she died. I took my concubine, cut her into pieces, sent uh, one piece to each region of Israel's inheritance because they committed this lewd and outrageous act in Israel. Now, all you Israelites, uh, speak up and tell me what you have decided to do. So all the men rose up together as one, saying, None of us will go home. No, not one of us will return home. But now this is what we will go do. Uh, uh, We will go to Gibeah, and uh, we will go up against it in the order decided by casting lots. So the Israelites, uh, they, they go to attack the, Benja- uh, the Benjamites uh, because the Benjamites were not willing to hold the men uh, accountable for this crazy act, this rape and murder of this woman. Uh, and to make a long story short, basically, it works. After a series of uh, fights, the Israelites uh, come against the 
the men. They, they succeed and they conquer them, but the problem is they almost do it too well uh, because it ends up being that the Israelites com- almost completely wipe out the whole tribe of Benjamin. Um, and then we get to chapter 21 where basically uh, they regret their actions. They regret that they took it so far uh, because they didn't just take those men. They didn't just conquer them. They didn't just uh, demand justice. They, they went way over top of what uh, was asked of them to do. And so um, they, they're regretting that they're basically missing that entire tribe within uh, Israel. And so there's a small group of men left after the war, uh, except they have no wives because they killed all the, the women and children. And so uh, none of the tribes are wanting to give their daughters to the Benjamites uh, to marry and to repopulate and all that stuff. So uh, they come up with this really crazy plan where they uh, basically uh, sanction kidnapping for uh, the Benjamites. Uh, they're going to go and hide in this uh, forest, and when this festival is happening, they're going to run in, grab the young uh, women, and take them back to be their wives. And that's their solution to their problem. Uh, and the author, at the end of all of this, in, verse, uh, in chapter 21, verse 25, says, In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. What the heck, man? Like, <laughs> what is going on with these crazy, crazy stories? Uh, and then, to, like I said, to understand it, I think we need to keep in mind what Russ has been talking about this entire time. Uh, Russ has been talking about this downward spin cycle that the Israelites are spinning down. And I think that after that just real fast uh, go through of all those crazy stories, you can start to see that they're at the very bottom now. They're, they're hitting rock bottom. They're just, they're just kind of crumbling at the very bottom of making good decisions because you see that even as the Israelites try to make good decisions, try to bring some justice, try to do the right thing, uh, they end up causing so much more harm than they did good. And instead of bringing justice, they ended up sanctioning the kidnapping of of young women and obviously rape of them uh, because it, they weren't wanting to be their husbands. And you just see that just so much more destruction is happening. And I think the one thing that we can kind of look at this is that uh, Israel really needs some leadership um, because everything's out of control. And that's, I think, one of the things that uh, the judges, the author of Judges is really trying to get at is to ask the question, who is fit to be the king of Israel? Who can stand in the gap here? Because uh, right now, the Israelites, nothing good's coming from them. And pretty soon, there's not going to be much of a people left for God to be uh, God of. And so uh, the question is, who is fit to, to be that person? What we need to grasp is the fact that even when we uh, try to do our very best, even when we try to uh, do things on our own, and that, that's what we're seeing here in the Israelites, is they're trying their best. Um, but what we're seeing is they're, they're trying their best on their own without God in the picture. And that's exactly what ends up happening, is only more hurt, only more death, only more destruction, only more division ends up coming from that. 
And I think that we can look at that when it comes to our own society, that as we, uh, if we look to elected leaders uh, and, and think that they're going to be the ones who are able to fix all of our problems, all of our situations, more than we uh, seek God's wisdom and action in our life, then yeah, we're going to have uh, these same kind of issues and, and problems uh, pop up. If we uh, look to humanity to bring justice to us, uh, we're going to have the same issues where it's not going to actually be justice. It's going to be revenge. It's going to be so much more than it should have ever been. And uh, if we trust humanity more than we trust God to step into those situations, then yeah, we're going to only have more hurt. If we trust our favorite news outlet uh, more than we trust the Holy Spirit to guide us, then yeah, we're going to have problems because all of a sudden things are going to change and it's only going to be more conflict, only more hurt, only more division uh, that is brought to our situation. So um, when humanity is left to its own leadership, only, only bad stuff ends up happening. It's, this is what Israel looks like when they remove God from the picture. And we see that even as they look uh, at how Israelites, or when Israel starts to understand that they need a leader, instead of looking to dedicate themselves to God and to say, uh, we need you, we need you as our king, we need you as our leader, uh, they instead look to the world and say, we're just going to pit, you know, kind of uh, take what they're doing and just bring it to us. And so they bring a king, and then they look for a king. They look for a king that's just like all the other kingdoms. It could be this great guy who stands ahead above the rest. His name is Saul. And what ends up happening is as they bring that uh, King Saul into his power, he ends up abusing his power, and he has all these other issues, and, and he's very abusive to uh, the, the kingdom. And then uh, the next guy who steps in, even though he starts really good, King David, and is faithful and, and, and all of that, uh, at the very end of his legacy, we see uh, a man who is actually really weak in his faith and really weak in his walk. Uh, we see him uh, abusing his power as well, and, and all reality at the very end is more conquered by depression than uh, full of joy for a life lived for the Lord. And then you go to his son, King Solomon, who is supposed to be the wisest man who ever uh, lived, but uh, at the same time you see him as you read through his entire story, um, full of just mistakes where he uh, is acting foolish with women and with trusting outside uh, people, uh, outside people. Uh, uh, kingdoms who are influencing him as he starts to let other gods be worshipped in Israel. And you just see this, again, downward spin cycle starting to happen with each of the kings. And none of them are able to sit at that place of being the king of Israel as they ought to be, as Israel needs them to be. And we don't actually see a good king until Matthew 2, in fact, uh, in Matthew 2, if you want to turn your Bibles there real fast, uh, we see, finally see the king, the king that, that we've been searching for this entire time come to be. And uh, the, it's uh, Matthew, 2, chapter, or Matthew 2, verses 1 through 2. And this is what it says. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, uh, during the time of King Herod, uh, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and I have, when we have come to worship him. Jesus, from the moment he was born, 
Uh, the heavens, the stars themselves declared that this is the king. This is the one you've been waiting for. Since judges to now, you have been waiting for a king to come and be your rightful uh, leader, your rightful king. And here he is, finally. You may worship him. You, you, you no longer have to worship some crazy idol with a, uh, a crooked priest who is going to leave you the moment something better comes along. No, this, this priest, uh, this king, this Jesus is going to love you and he's going to be there for you in your hardest of times. And it doesn't matter how bad it gets. He's always going to be there and care for you. It doesn't matter if, uh, if you don't have enough money to pay him uh, or anything like that because he doesn't need your money because he's God of everything. He is the rightful priest. He is, he's the one who's going to care for you and care for the broken and, and, and heal the sick. Uh, instead of uh, looking to uh, the army for justice, uh, Jesus brings justice to uh, his people in a whole different way. Jesus himself starts with the first injustice that was done between us and God. And you see him live his perfect life, and he's constantly referencing how we are full of sin and we need a Savior. And then he, he, he is that Savior. And instead of finding justice for us by, uh, by condemning us, he, he feels, he's full of grace and he sacrifices himself on the cross for us to, to balance us, to, to bring justice to God and to give us grace in a new relationship. He, he, instead of taking that up with a, with, a, with a sword, he does it with a cross. He is king. See, the author of, of Judges leaves us with a question of who is worthy to be king. And the Bible clearly answers that question with only Jesus. Only he is worthy of being king. Only he is worthy of that title, of that place. And uh, that's the same thing that we need to ask ourselves in all reality, is who is worthy of being king of your life? Uh, who is that in that place of authority that is, is making the decisions for you? Who is, who is leading you in your life? And I think for a lot of us, we, if we're honest, uh, it's ourselves. Yeah, we are the ones who are the, the kings of our life. We make the decisions if we're going to do one thing or not do something. Uh, and we don't necessarily uh, consider God to have that necessarily ultimate authority over our life. Maybe, maybe we, we you know, see him as a trusted advisor. You know, we, we, you read his book every now and then, and we'll come to church, and we'll, we'll listen in, and, and we'll kind of take his advice in under consideration. But, but we, yeah, we don't really have him as that ultimate authority in our life. Uh, when he says move, we say, oh, I'll think about it. Uh, when we say he says give, we say let's check what we're what I got left, kind of thing, and 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 that's kind of the 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 lifestyle we have. And what's interesting is you know this just as much as I do is that every time you end up kind of coming to him because you're going to come to him a lot for his advice because what you start to realize is that even though you're sitting in that place of power in your own life you actually have no power you're going to feel the stress and anxiety of life as as things don't go your way because you don't have that authority uh, and you you start to feel frustrated because what things that you thought you could manipulate and control in your life just seem to be out of 
self-control. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, at some point, maybe you have kids and, and they seem out of control and like you can't do anything about that. And even though you're supposed to have the authority over them, you don't because you don't even really have the authority in your life. And so as you come to Jesus and ask him for his advice, his advice is always, the, the first thing is always the same thing. Get out of the chair. Get, get off the throne and allow him to step into that place, his rightful place in your life, to be king in your life. That's always going to be his first thing, is to trust him with that control, to trust him with that authority in your life. And man, when you do, it's just, it, you think that you're, you're giving up so much, but you don't understand how much you're gaining in your life. You don't understand the freedom that comes with Christ. You don't understand that all of a sudden the burdens that were crushing you before, that was giving you that anxiety, that, that un, I, I, can't, I can't do it, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give up, I'm so tired, I'm so frustrated, I can't go on anymore. All of a sudden those things start to be relieved in your life and all of a sudden the tension starts to go and it's not that life is perfect, but all of a sudden you just feel like you have the strength to, to get past so much more than you ever could because you're no longer relying on your strength and your authority, you're relying on his strength and his authority in your life. And all of a sudden, you just have so much more ability to get through hard situations. All of a sudden, even as the bills pile up, you say, God, I trust you, and I know that you're going to get me through this. Even as the craziness of this pandemic continues to mount, you say, God, I know you have control over my life and over this world, and so I trust you. And as, as things kind of continue to spiral out of control here in America, you say, God, have your place in my life, and we pray that you have your place in our country as well. We continue to give everything to Christ, and, and, and we submit everything to his authority. That's what life looks like as you, as you give over that control to God. Maybe in your life, it's not you on that, that place of authority or as king of your life. It's, it's someone else. Uh, it could be uh, someone you're in relationship with. It could be a friend. It could be a parent. Uh, someone that just when they speak, you basically feel like you have to do it. And you, you've placed them in that, that place in your life where they have ultimate control over your life. Or, they have, uh, or you're looking them for, to them to be your savior, to, to rescue you from all of life's situations. And the, the problem is, is you're going to run into the same issues that the Israelites ran into with all of the old kings of Israel. was the fact that even those who start off really well and seem to be able to solve a lot of your problems and, and get you through a lot of the issues of life, at some point the weight of sitting in that chair is going to crush them as well. Uh, it's too much. No one is, uh, is able to carry the burden of being their, your Savior except Jesus. He's the only one that is powerful enough. And so at some point, more hurt, more destruction, more, more anger will be, will be birthed in that relationship. And you'll be mad at them because they didn't, they didn't save you like you wanted them to save you. And the reality is you placed an unfair burden on them because they were never, it, never meant to sit in that place in your life. Maybe, maybe you are someone who you're a little bit further along in your walk with Jesus, and you can honestly say, hey, I, I, think I have Jesus in that chair. Jesus is the king of my life. And that's awesome. 
But you and I both know that being able to say that and being able to live that out are two different things. Uh, it's easy to, to say, Jesus, you're king of my life. And then the next day wake up and say, but today I got this one. Uh, today, why don't you just take a break? You've been doing a lot. You kind of run in the whole universe. I'll, I'll, I'll be in charge today. Uh, and so the real big question for you is, how are you actively submitting yourself to Jesus? In what way can you, can you continue to do that in all sections of your life? Are there places where you're telling him, no, I, I know your authority is supposed to be everywhere, but just let me have this little piece here. Maybe that's your finances. Maybe that's your relationships. Maybe that's your friendships. Maybe that's your marriage. Uh, maybe that's your kids. Maybe that's, there's so many other spots that we, we can kind of try to hide things away from God. And what you'll find is those end up being a stumbling block in our, our walk with him where we try to push him to the side and, and he wants to have full reign over your life. And he, he has nothing but glory and, and, and freedom for you once you do. The other thing I would have to say to anyone who answers that Jesus is king of your life is that means that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And it's funny because uh, whenever I've gone anywhere in my life, uh, any time I've gone to another country, whether that was Thailand, China, or, or in the Middle East, uh, it's funny when I'm there, I never really get asked, um, are, you, are you American? It's, I don't get asked that. Um, and they usually, the question is, American, right? Like they, they, they kind of can nail me right away. They, they know that I'm from America. Uh, and I don't take that as, as a bash. I'm very proud of being American. I'm very proud of my country. Um, and so I'm always like, yeah, that's, that's me. I'm from America. And, you know, luckily we're from California, which is like one of the few states that people know. It's like California or New York or all the other ones that don't matter <laughs> to people. Um, and so uh, it's interesting that even in those countries, they can, they can identify you right away. And it really makes me wonder, what would it take for me to be able to be recognized that same way as a citizen of the kingdom of God? What would it take for someone to look at my life, to look at the way I'm living, the way I'm acting, the way I'm loving people, and just look at me and say, Christian, right? You, you, you're one of those Jesus guys, right? And for me, with all the joy and happiness in my heart, to be able to say, yeah, yeah, 100%. What things do I need to change in my life to, to be at a place where people recognize that? And I, I, would, I would ask you that same question. If you say that you are a, a child of God, if you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, what, what does it take for people to identify that so fast? Because when I'm anywhere else, they can recognize that I'm American, but how can I, I be that same kind of foreigner in my own community? So the real question that we have to ask ourselves, wherever you're at on that gambit, is, is who's on the throne of your life? If you are at a place right now where you're recognizing that it's not Jesus, I want to pray with you here in a second and, and just offer him that seat in your life to be able to say, Jesus, I want you to have it all and, and to be my all. And I trust you uh, no matter what. And even though that's going to be hard to live out each day, that I'm going to choose to live that out each day. And if you're someone who answered, I, Jesus is on the throne of my life, then I, I ask you again, what, what things are you doing 
that allows you allows him to stay in that place in all parts of your life? How are you actively submitting yourself to his authority? And to to really look at yourself and say, what what rights or uh, what rights do I have, or what rights am I giving up as a as a kingdom of uh, as a citizen of the kingdom of God, um, so that more people can look at my life and see my true citizenship. Because it's really not uh, based on where you're at. It's as we start to understand as citizens of the kingdom of God is that's our primary identity. I mean, more than I am a father or a husband or a youth leader or even an American, I am a citizen of the kingdom of God first. And so I want people to recognize that in my life first. So I, I pray that you would have that same kind of uh, time to reflect on your life and, and think about where you stand on some of those things as well. So let's pray and, and just bring ourselves to God and submit uh, ourselves to be uh, looked at. So uh, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we, we come to you now and we, we submit our hearts to you and ask that you would help us each to identify who's on the throne of our life. Who is really sitting in that place? And I pray that you would just help us to, to submit ourselves to you. God, for those people today who are, who are hearing this message and saying, I'm just, I keep getting on that throne, or I know I'm there, and I'm having such a hard time releasing control because I, I, I know that you're good, but I don't know if I, you're safe. And, and God, I, tr- I, just, I just pray that each person would trust you to know that, no matter what happens, that you have the best thing in store for them in life. And even in the hardships, as the storms come in life, because they will, that the only way that they're truly going to be able to get through them is by trusting you. So God, I pray that they would release control of that place of authority in their life, that they would be willing to to allow you to sit in that place of their, their life, and they would say, Jesus, my life is yours. I trust you, and I thank you that you paid the ultimate price for my injustice, for my sin against you, God. And God, I just want to live a new life of freedom in you. And so, God, I pray that each person who prays that now, God, would just would feel your presence in a brand new and fresh way. And for those people who are sitting there and know you and have walked with you, God, that, that you would help identify in our hearts the little places that we try to hide from you and say, no, I got this part, God. And that you would blow those places wide open and that you would have ultimate authority in each of their life. God, we thank you so much that there's no part of our life that is hidden from you or that you don't care about. God, I pray that you would help us to be identified as your people. God, that we would be marked as yours uh, in just uh, all the right ways. God, not to be obnoxious people of yours, but to be glorifying people of yours, God. That people would would look at us and see uh, you. And so I pray that you would help us each identify more and more how we could be more like you and less like ourselves. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.